uh, was my idea. And my whole reputation now depends on you showing up. Uh, we were talking at the meeting about eight months ago uh, throughout the year, and I said, you know, we had this group in Atlanta at our church. Nobody really knew what it was about, and they didn't really look forward to it, but I twisted their arms and they came. After they had come for the weekend, which was an incredible experience for the kids, for the families, for the single people at all ages, afterward they said, can we get them back next month? So please, make your, make your schedule to uh, work to get to this event. You, you really will enjoy it. And the second thing, I know this feels like a lot of announcements. Your 100 suggested acts of kindness I'm a member of the board at One Jackson. We were asked uh, last fall to write down a, a number of things we thought that we could share in terms of how to be kind and how to serve others, and this is the list that came about. There are probably another 100,000 that we could name, but this is a good thing to, to go by if you wonder, what can I do today as an act of kindness? So that's now uh, for you. You can put it on your... Uh, on your car uh, dashboard, you can put it in your wallets or pocketbooks, but do it. This morning's text comes to us in the gospel according to Mark, and it is in all three gospels, sort of the halftime for Jesus. He has called his disciples, he started his ministry, he's been proclaiming the gospel, he's been healing people, and at this moment called transfiguration, Jesus goes up to the mountaintop just as Joe, uh, Moses did when he received the Ten Commandments. He goes up to the mountaintop with his disciples Peter, James, and John, and at that point he is transfigured. That is to say, he becomes dazzling white, and they see in him this whole new sense of who he is. And for Jesus, it was reaffirmation of his baptism. Here are the words as it comes to us in the ninth chapter, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, so as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Folks around Jacksonville last week were mostly disinterested in the Super Bowl, and most of us for sure did not want New England to win. I was one of them. However, since it is tradition, I decided I would watch at least the first half and pay attention to the commercials, which traditionally are usually better than the normal commercials. This year, however, I found them to be, eh, except for one. The screen opens, and there are pictures, vision uh, of people doing service projects with the unmistakable voice of Martin Luther King overlaid over the video. 
And he says, if you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be free, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's the new definition of greatness. About that time, the image of a big silver ram pickup truck pops into view, pulling some heavy log or something through a big field of mud. And Dr. King's voice continues, it means that everybody can be great. You don't have to know about Plato or Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know about the theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know about the theory of thermodynamics to serve. Now the front view of the RAM pickup is right covering the whole screen. You only need a heart full of grace, soul generated by love. Commercial ends with the voiceover, RAM, built to serve. When it was over, I was stunned. Is this what we've come to now? in our world, using the speeches of Dr. King to order and sell pickup trucks, and worse than that even, the words of Jesus completely used out of place, intending the meaning to be exactly the opposite of everything Jesus was saying and meant when he said them? I ended up watching the whole game because it was a great game, pulling for the Philadelphia Eagles because of they were not the team that beat the Jags, but mostly because, you know, they really are a wonderful witness for Christian service together on that team. And if you listen to their stories, they have a sort of mature sense of their service. I'm sometimes a little leery of those ball players who win a game and in the interview afterward give credit to Jesus. Oh man, you know, my child cried so hard at her baptism that the pastor who baptized her said she would be a great choir person (laughs) later in life. Back to what I was saying. I'm a little leery of those Ball players who win a game and interview and in the interview afterward give credit to Jesus. It's the same message I think that the Ram truck commercial was making. I am great because Jesus is on my side. The Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm, a great kid, after beating Oklahoma on New Year's Day, said, I first want to thank Jesus, for without him we wouldn't have won or something like that. It's a slippery slope to claim that Jesus somehow magically gives us the edge when we are usually just playing against other Christians on the other team just as much as on our team. So when Alabama won the national championship two weeks later, after Nick Saban inserted that amazing young freshman quarterback from Hawaii, Tua Tagovailoa from Hawaii, The kid pretty much said the same thing, thanking Jesus for the win. And as you remember, they beat Georgia. Jake Fromm's Georgia Bulldogs, who, as I remember, was not interviewed, nor did he witness 
that Jesus had something to do with his loss. So the slippery slope of using Jesus to justify our greatness or our winning, claiming that God is the reason that we become great or winning, is that it breaks the first commandment. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. To try and use God's name for our own personal advantage, which leads to the disadvantage of others, is to turn God into an idol. By the way, one of the coaches for Philadelphia, Reich, I think is his last name, uh, says that the reason, uh, understanding what it means to be a Christian athlete on our team means these players respect their teammates more and want to serve them more, which makes them better teammates and better players. Not so much that they will win. A completely different understanding of that meaning. Back to the Ram truck. Now completely in our image. Turns out it was highly criticized by everybody the next day. One statement I think, says it all about our culture. Sadly, it was criticizing the commercial for the wrong reasons. Tim Calkins, a marketing professor at Northwestern, the Kellogg professor, which should sum up the marketing part, said, using Dr. King's sermon is the wrong mistake to make given everything that's going on in the U.S. right now. There's so much emotion right now around race in this country that this was a high-risk move, and clearly it's not going over very well. That was the criticism. Across the board, most people felt the commercial was in poor taste, misusing Dr. King's sermon while undermining the issue of race. The issue of race is vital. Turns out, however, the King family, who was responsible for Dr. King's words, had sold the rights to the sermon saying it was okay with them, which is another story entirely. To me, the real offense of this commercial, the real truth that was never mentioned in the media anywhere, was not about trivializing Dr. King's message about racial equality, but about turning upside down the words of Jesus when he taught about what it means to be great. He who is greatest among you must be your servant, he said. Not one word about Jesus anywhere in the critiques. Not one. Nor the message in the commercial that contradicted Jesus' message. In Mark's gospel, Jesus actually says it twice, both times, right after, soon after coming down off the mountaintop. Those three disciples had experienced Jesus in this moment of transfiguration and they thought that maybe he would be the new Messiah, the second Messiah who would come to save Israel, to bring Israel back into power, to bring them greatness. And his disciples thinking that Jesus was that kind of Messiah began to argue who was the greatest among us and can we sit closer to Jesus so that we too may have his greatness rub off. That's when Jesus calls his disciples together and asks them, what were you arguing about on the way? The disciples stayed silent because they had argued about who was the greatest. So he sat down as a rabbi does and began to teach them again, saying, 
whoever wants to be the first must be the last of all and the servant of all. Then he picked up a little child, a powerless child, and held him up as the example, saying, whoever welcomes such a one as this welcomes me. And in Jesus' day, the culture was different. It was not a child-focused culture like it is today. Instead, children were pretty much seen as of little worth until they could grow into being a financial asset. This is what Dr. King was saying in the sermon he preached, if you read it all, whose words were completely misused. The title of that sermon preached 50 years ago, 1968, not long before he was assassinated, was called The Drum Major Instinct. And in it he points out that the thing in us is the same thing in those disciples. The need to be great, the need to be the leader, the need to be in charge, the need to be out front, the need to be the drum major. Someone the next day actually superimposed on that same Ram truck commercial the words of Dr. King's same sermon that were taken out of context. So as that video's on, Dr. King now is saying, in order to be a man of distinction, the presence of our instinct to be greatest explains why we are so often taken by advertisers. The irony of that. You know these gentlemen of massive verbal persuasion and they have a way of saying things to you that kind of gets in you, you in a bind. In order to be a man of distinction, you must drink this kind of whiskey. In order to be a man who makes your neighbors envious, you must drive this kind of car or ram truck. In order to be lovely, you must use this type of mist, uh, lipstick or this kind of perfume. And before you know it, you are buying all that stuff. I've got to drive this car that makes my car a little better than my neighbor. I can't, I'm not making this up. This is what he's saying that is the complete opposite of the commercial. I'm sad today, he says, that the nation in which we live is the supreme culprit, and I'm going to continue to say it to America, which didn't last long, unfortunately, tragically. The complete opposite. Dr. King goes on to expound that this drum major instinct is part of all of us. We all want to be important, to surpass others, to achieve distinction, to lead the parade. Alfred Adler, the great psychoanalyst, contends that this is the dominant impulse of humanity. Sigmund Freud used to contend that sex was the dominant impulse. And Adler came with a new argument saying that this quest for recognition, this desire for attention, the desire for distinction is the basic impulse, the basic drive for human life, this drum major instinct to be significant, to be significant. It starts at birth, he says, when we are nothing but big, well, little bundles of ego need. And now in adult life, we still have it. We like to do something good, and you know we like to be praised for it, and everybody likes it, as a matter of fact. And somehow this warm glow we feel when we are praised or when our name is in print or is something like the vitamin A to our ego, nobody is unhappy when they are praised, even if they know they don't deserve it and even if they don't believe it. 
The only unhappy people about praise is when that praise is going too much towards somebody else. But everybody likes to be praised because of this real drum major instinct. Let the people say amen. Let the people say amen. amen. What does this mean for us? This church of Riverside that wants to be a movement for reconciliation at least it means this, that we need to be able to separate, to see the difference between the message in culture and the message that Jesus came to proclaim, and the gulf is huge. Culture promises greatness and power as the goal, and Jesus tells us to be servants and even to suffer. Again, Dr. King, the final tragedy is that when we fail to harness the drum major instinct, we end up trying to push people down in order to push ourselves up. Whenever we do that, we engage in some of the most vicious activities. We will spread evil, lying, gossip on people because we're trying to pull them down in order to push ourselves up. The great issue of life is to harness the drum major instinct when you don't do it, it leads to snobbish exclusivism. I've been to churches, he said, and they say, we've got so many doctors. We have so many school teachers, so many lawyers, and so many businessmen and women in our church. And that's fine because they all need to go to church. They ought to be in church. But they say that as if other people don't count. The church is the one place where the doctor ought to forget he's a doctor. The church is the one place where the Ph.D., ought to forget she is a Ph.D. Any church who violates the law of Jesus, the greatest among us will be your servant, is a dead, cold church. Nothing but a little social club, a veneer of religiosity. Can I hear amen? When a church is true to its nature, whosoever will, like this child Jesus holds up, let him come. It is not supposed to satisfy the perverted uses of this drum major instinct. It's the one place where everybody is the same. What we celebrate at baptism, when we ask for her name, Marilyn Louise, because her last name is the same for each of us, child of God. Any and all recognition in the Christian church grows out of this for all men and women Brothers and sisters, we all have a common parent. When Jesus told his disciples this message, he told them we should always keep this before us. If you want to be first, if you want to be great, if you want to be significant, you must be last, you must be servant of all. Dr. King said it, don't give up the drum major instinct what? Don't give it up? Isn't that the fight I have? How do I reconcile that instinct in me for drum majorness when he's calling me to lay my ego down and to serve? Dr. King says it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need to be important, he says. Keep feeling the need to be first, he says. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in gentleness. I want you to be first in moral excellence. 
That's the definition of greatness. And it means that everybody can be great because every single person can serve. You don't have to be a college graduate to serve. You don't have to make uh, uh, your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know your chemistry and physics to serve. You only need a heart of grace, a soul generated by love. Back to the Ram commercial, that's how they ended it with his words. And he's talking about the exact opposite. And then Dr. King in this sermon says, I know a man, and I just want to talk about him for a minute, and maybe you'll discover who I'm talking about. He was a great one, the greatest one. And he just went about serving. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a poor peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30 years old. Then for three years, he just got on his feet and he was an itinerant preacher. And he went about doing some things. He didn't have much. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never owned a house, never visited the big city, never went 200 miles from where he was born, did none of the things the world would associate with greatness, and had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide turned against him. They called him rabble-rouser. They called him troublemaker. He said he was an agitator. He preached civil disobedience. He broke injunctions. And so he was turned over to the enemies and went through a mockery of a trial. And the irony of it, of it all is that his friends turned against him too. And one of his closest friends denied him. And another of his closest friends uh, bought, uh, took 30 pieces of silver to turn him in. And while he was dying, the people who killed him gambled for his clothing. And when he was dead, they buried him in a borrowed tomb. He was nothing. He was nothing a nobody by the world's standards of greatness. Nineteen centuries, Dr. King said, have come and gone, and today he stands as the most influential figure that ever entered human history. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever set sail, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of humanity on this earth as much as that one solitary nobody named Jesus. But today, Dr. King says, I can hear them talking. And they're talking about him. Every now and then somebody says, he's king of kings. Every now and then somebody will say, he's lord of lords. Somewhere else I can hear somebody saying, in Christ there is no east or west. And they keep on saying it, in him there is no north or south. But one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide world. This nobody, he didn't have anything. He didn't ride around in a ram pickup. He just went around serving others and doing good. Thank you, Dr. King, and thank you, Jesus, for showing what it means to be built to serve. Amen. Let me hear it.